Conning tomorrow. Speculative fiction anthology. Good evening, and we'd like to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room for May the 31st, 2017. And yes, the rumors are true. We have cornered him in an undisclosed hotel location somewhere in the state of Texas. Uh, I am Wes Fryer, Director of Technology at Cassidy School. Excited to join you from Oklahoma City and the awesome Miguel Gulen joining us from the great state of Texas. How are you doing, Miguel? And what are what is your title these days? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I try not to focus on titles as much anymore. You know, I, now I'm just sort of trying to be uh, relaxed, easygoing, I'm just trying to pursue a different approach. If if there was a visual picture of me, it, it might be a monk, you know, you dressed a monk robes. of ed, the monk of ed tech. That's right. That's right. With a Jedi I mean, saber, able to whip out. That. Oh no, we don't we don't want to hurt anybody. Oh well. Well, as you all may know, Miguel is in, normally in San Antonio or thereabouts, and he is uh, rumored to be doing wonderful professional development initiatives for TCA. And <clears throat> if there's anyone in my circle of friends who has drank deeply of the Microsoft Kool-Aid and has attempted to share it with me repeatedly, that would be Miguel Gulen. So I hope Microsoft is listening to to this. Hey, Steve Ballmer is is listening in every show, I think. So, yeah. Well, for those of you that may not know, we are a weekly show that takes a look at technology news and comments about them from an educational standpoint. And we are not afraid to go down rabbit holes. And while we say we're going to be an hour show, we have been known to go a little bit longer and talk about things besides the news articles, uh, which might include today the Apple Watch, because I've learned Miguel is a new Apple Watch user. So actually, uh, well, and if you'd like to access our links, uh, we have our show links available in an embedded Google Doc, which you can access at edtechsr.com slash links, and you will get the Google Doc. And if you're tuning in live, you can uh, actually access our live chat, which I will have up here in just a moment and give voice to that, that live chat. So Miguel, give us an update. What's it like to be an Apple Watch user and do you feel conflicted as the EdTech champion of all things Microsoft to have this Cupertino device so close to your heartbeat now? You know, just just the other day, two Apple people came into my office, and I think they were so entranced by the beautiful Microsoft Surface Book that was on my desk. You should have seen them. It was just incredible to see the look in their eye, the excitement. I don't want to call out anybody by name, Jennifer or Brittany, but uh, it was amazing. But they never noticed, because I had that Microsoft Surface Book on that I was wearing a brand-new Apple Watch, uh, thanks to my kids and, and wife for letting me uh, indulge and, and get this for Father's Day a few weeks early. But uh, it was, it's, it's been pretty incredible. I used it, I can understand from a fitness perspective, uh, why it's definitely worth having. But there's the, the Dick Tracy moment when you're talking to somebody through your watch is just incredible. Uh, I, I actually pulled up Dick Tracy and, and tried to get the right angle. And I'm thinking about getting a fedora. It, it, it's just uh, one of those things. So That's awesome. That's excited. awesome. So uh, what, what pushed you over the edge? Because had you, had you been wanting to do this for a long time, or is there something in particular that finally, finally pushed you over? 
Well, I, I was having a conversation. I was thinking, you know, I, I would like to try uh, something where a wearable technology and a watch seemed like a pretty straightforward thing. And I do wear watches. And uh, I was just asking my niece, who's about uh, 13 years old, almost 13 years old. And, she, and I said, well, do you, uh, what do you know about the Apple Watch? And she sort of held up her wrist and she had a Series 1 uh, Apple Watch on and she walked me through it and everything. And I was just amazed that she was already familiar with the technology and I completely missed it. So, Yep. Well, I definitely think that, um, you know, notifications and in fact, that's an article I didn't put in that I need to, I need to drop in. Um, and you know, how we, how we filter the information flood and, you know, how, how things are relevant to you and you're able to interact with them. All those things are, are pretty important. So, well, Miguel, we have organized links today under some different headings. And as always, we, we tend to have more, more links than we will have time to talk about. So we've got some hacking security articles, uh, some that we put under the title, the sky is falling, which is just, I don't know about things that are going wrong, perhaps with the internet and, and uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, and, and mobile um, uh, time that people are spending. We've got some space articles. We've got a few updates that I actually just dropped in uh, right before the show um, about Apple and Amazon and Facebook. And then we'll do our geeks of the week. Do you, do you have a preference on which of those topic themes you'd like to launch into first? I think the U.S. intelligence uh, targeting uh, Kaspersky Labs is pretty interesting. It's really, uh, I I wonder if if governments are, are, I don't wonder, we know that governments are really getting involved in privacy and violating our privacy. And and, uh, uh, you you would think that Kaspersky would be one of those that would uh, be acceptable, but uh, it looks like the strong Russian connections are are there and Kaspersky is Russian, so. Well, it hits close to home because Kaspersky is the uh, anti-malware, antivirus software solution that we have licensed for a number of years at our school. And to be clear, <clears throat> this article doesn't tell everyone to dump Kaspersky, but it does say that U.S. intelligence officials may not have a really high opinion of Kaspersky. And this was from the CSO article or the CSO um, online website, which I have actually, uh, it's part of the IDG contributor network. We're talking a lot about fake news and where, where things come from. So this is important. Um, and this was an article that Christopher Burgess, uh, posted on May the 13th, 2017 called did Kaspersky step in dog do. And the main, the main thing that, yeah, stood out for me was that in these, uh, Senate hearings, when they're talking about threat assessments and, and, uh, cyber hack, you know, cybersecurity hacking and all those kind of things, uh, the uh, members of the U.S. intelligence community that were represented at the meeting were asked if they would personally use Kaspersky or have their, their people use it, and they said no. So um, what are you – you know, this is a great question to ask Miguel because he has seriously been uh, a font of knowledge about all kinds of different tools to, you know, take, a, take out – Spyware, malware—you know, free stuff as well as commercial weighing it. And uh, what's what's your advice today, Miguel, to folks who come to you and say, Miguel, what should I do to protect my Windows machine or my Mac or whatever they're running? Well, uh, believe it or not, I, since I'm in a hotel now, I have uh, private internet access. It's my favorite uh, virtual private network. I use that on my mobile phone, my iPhone. I use it pretty much on every device that I have. And uh, that, I think, is like the first layer of security. Uh, and then, uh, at least for protecting uh, 
communications. In terms of uh, mal anti-malware, uh, I like Bitdefender. It's free for personal use, works great. Uh, I don't get any uh, annoying uh, requests for whatever. And Windows 10 is really surprisingly uh, done a nice job of, of keeping things, uh, well, germ-free, I guess. Um, now, in the old days, I would have had this thing loaded down with firewalls and everything else, but uh, Windows Defender, every everything else that's here seems to work pretty well. Now, let's be honest, I, I, I don't, I probably wouldn't uh, do a lot of private stuff on here. If I want to really secure my communications, I'm, I'm going to use uh, a Linux distribution that's, uh, that's designed for that. So, uh, but for, you know, regular open communications, just like you do on your Mac, uh, I think Windows 10 has got it beat. Okay. Well, <clears throat> feel free if you want to drop in any of those links, um, either during the show or immediately after, and I'd love to put those in. I want to do shout-outs in the chat room. Yay! We have been Wilkoff joining us, I assume, from uh, location in and around the Denver area. And then we've got Jamie Camp coming to us from Texas that are in there. So <clears throat> Ben said it was a good thing he had notifications on for our show. So he was able to, to tune in. We normally, we are starting at 9 p.m. Central and tonight Miguel has asked for a special time and it actually works out well with our family schedule tonight as well to be on at seven, but normally we're at, we're at nine. Next week, by the way, Scott McLeod, who is a doctor, Scott McLeod, is going to be joining us uh, probably from Denver where he is relocated. And I'm really looking forward to that. He's not, not been on the show. So, um, well, and Miguel, what did you say the name of the VPN service you used was called? Private Internet Access. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, if you don't mind dropping that link in, um, I dabbled yeah. with some different VPN services when I went to China back in 2007 and did a, went, did a few trips, you know, after that. And <clears throat> that was also out of necessity, right? Because to access PB Wiki or PB Works, you know, at the time you had to, it was blocked because of Chinese authorities being upset about certain websites. And I'm trying, I don't even remember what, what it was. There's was a large, well, a pretty uh, well-known anti-Chinese government site, you know, that was on there. So anyway, in order to, to access my resources, and I think that was part of the reason that pushed me over to Google Sites. And anyway, Wikispaces was open, but VPNs and all that stuff is important to know about. So under that same heading of hacking and security, um, we talked a little bit about this last week, I think, um, in terms of this big uh, ransomware hack. But this is a Forbes article from May the 16th, 2017, medical devices hit by ransomware for the first time. This is a pretty big deal. So in the case of, uh, you know, most rans, well, all of the ransomware attacks we've heard about, we have data and consoles and things like that that have, you know, patient information and that kind of thing. But this is a report that the uh, cyber attack uh, WannaCry um, not only affected systems that were, you know, holding, you know, information about about patients and things, but it actually injected itself into some of the appliance devices in the hospital. Um, so some of the, the MRI, uh, radiology equipment, you know, things involved in imaging. And so um, this is, you know, another level of cyber 
you know, causing, uh, causing problems. So we've talked quite a bit on the show about the Internet of Things and the risks that are posed by devices that aren't locked down and don't have security. Um, what do you think about this, Miguel? And, and also, more broadly, where are you personally with the Internet of Things in terms of jumping on board with, you know, things that you are willing to put in your house and, and actually activate and use yourself? Uh, never. I, I really just can't imagine that we'd be uh, putting these devices. Of course, we've got TVs in, in our uh, living rooms, and that's giving us access. But when I think about the Internet of Things, uh, we just had a, a, a CTO uh, sort of leadership conference at TCEA talking about the Internet of, of Things and, uh, you know, just to, trying to approach that. And it's um, But once you get past the, uh, the scary uh, thing that uh, – that companies have not really fine-tuned the security for uh, IoT devices. I think once we push past that, um, IoT will be uh, will be great. But uh, until then, I'm not quite ready to put devices uh, um, in my house. Uh, but there's a lot of people buying Amazon Echoes and uh, you know and all the other stuff. And yeah, one of the things. One. No, no. Um... Apple, one of the articles that we've got uh, lower, I guess we can we can mention, is that yeah. Apple's Siri home speaker, now in manufacturing, may not ship until later in 2017. We're about to have the WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple, which is one of their biggest annual events, and um, rumored is going to be their, their answer to the Google Home and the Amazon Alexa dot is the cheaper, less expensive, not as good a speaker, you know, $50 version that you can get. So, no, we don't have one of those yet. Um, we're, you know, fairly heavily invested in the Apple ecosystem. So we've I've talked with Jason about this a lot. It's, it's an interesting race to see, what, you know, what company is going to develop their AI the best. And a lot of that has to do with data, you know, and how much input that they're receiving. But um, on, a, on an educational note um, about this, I guess, you know, we need to be encouraging – teachers and students and parents and everyone in our community to be updating their stuff, right? When we saw last fall um, oh, yeah. the uh, Mirai botnet attack, which was the largest denial of service attack that has happened so far worldwide, that was a script kitty hack that basically there were, there were, there are now a lot of scripts that people can download and use maliciously. And um, this one actually tapped into Internet of Things, and so webcams or smart TVs and even routers. And routers have been one, one thing that I think a lot of people just kind of buy, didn't mess with. You know, router companies finally started to put passwords on by default, yeah. but rarely would people change those. And so um, I'm, I'm interested and in, in haven't made the jump yet, but Google has some next-generation mesh routers that – uh, allow for control, quality of service sort of things where you can prioritize, you know, and say, hey, I'm on a video call or I'm playing this game and I want these devices to be given priority, but they auto update and they're a lot smarter. And so it's a, it's a new generation. And I think it's probably maybe two shows back. We have some links to some of those that we talked about. Um, are you still, how old, do you want to disclose how old your router is at your home? I mean, is that something that you've updated and, and looked at, or what? Where are you with that? I, I think I'm running a Linksys route. Actually, I'm not using a Linksys router anymore. I was, but um, the uh, I switched over to the cable modem, 
and it's got built-in wireless and everything else. So um, I'm not entirely convinced that the security on, on that uh, is okay, but uh, whenever I'm doing secure stuff, I'm, I'm usually running private internet access VPN so that I'm protected. So yeah. I, you know, back in the day, I, I, I guess I didn't think about using a VPN for everything, but now I pretty much use it all the time. Uh, it, hmm. it just makes sense. Doesn't it and, slow you down big time, though? Uh, no, not really. The um, uh, I guess if I had a slow internet connection, but it, it works great. Uh, it's not that much of a hit. Uh, the I'm not routing it through Japan or France or Denmark or whatever. Uh, also, uh, mm. Opera uh, VPN. Have you played around with Opera VPN on your mobile device? No, I have not. Oh, well, I'll, I'll uh, add a link to that. Uh, but you, you definitely need to check out Opera VPN as, a, as another solution um, that's on your mobile device. It even masks your calls. One time I forgot I was – I called my wife when I was running uh, Opera VPN, and uh, it uh, provided a different phone number than uh, my own. My own. Hmm. Uh, and then the Opera browser, which is conveniently made in China, which should make me a little – uh, nervous um, is uh, has a built-in VPN on it, and it works great on uh, Windows 10. I don't know if it's available for Mac. Well, Miguel, what is your quick elevator pitch to someone who says, "Why should I care about VPN? Why should I care about you know my privacy online? I'm not a criminal. Why you know why? So what? Well, I just think about all the. I mean, if we're moving into online purchasing and, uh, you know, if you're an Amazon user, if you um, use convenient bank apps, you really want to protect yourself because your usernames and passwords are, are, are uh, can just sort of be picked out out of the other. And uh, I think what's the, what's the Firefox uh, add-on, FireSheet? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that, that you can use to, uh, to do that. And I actually tried it and did it uh, in my home. And I was just amazed at the amount of information I was able to get just sitting in my, in my office. It's, it's scary. Um, and if people don't yeah. know that that came out at the black hat conference, which is an annual conference in Los Angeles for hackers, both white hat and black hat hackers, but it's called black hat. And <clears throat> the year that came out, a friend of mine, James Deaton had mentioned it. And I was teaching adjunct pre-service teacher ed tech classes at North Texas in Denton and so I was, you know, at a coffee shop and I installed it on Firefox. And yes, on that router, I was able to actually, if I, if I say this, is this, I'm sure all of these are going to be transcribed and will become part of my FBI permanent record at some point. So hopefully I'm not saying something that is going to be horribly incriminating. I was able to Don't see worry. people that were logged into Facebook and be logged in as them. And I was able to see people that were logged into WordPress. You know, and, and this was before a big push. This would have been about 2009, 2010. So we've had a big push on the web uh, for SSL everywhere and promoting, you know, secure socket layer, encrypted traffic. And so the danger is somewhat less. But, for instance, WordPress, you know, there's lots of people that don't have a secure socket layer on their WordPress. And so if you go to Starbucks or any kind of coffee shop or shared router and you are, you know, logging in to your admin console and you're going to try to post stuff, you know, anybody who is sniffing that traffic with fire sheep or 
something else is just they're going to see your passwords in the clear. And if you've used that password somewhere else and if it has your email, you know, you're just opening yourself up to things. So. Absolutely. You, you know quite a bit about that, uh, Wes, uh, given all your experience with WordPress. Well, and I don't know if I've mentioned it to you, but, you know, in the last three months, I've had two different significant hacks of my main speed of creativity site, which I think were targeted Russian attacks. I think it was a result of a review that I wrote about Brian Krebs spam nation book and a lot of tweets that I did. But yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had to do some significant stuff. So you got to back up your stuff, change your passwords and follow Miguel's lead and use a VPN service. Just a couple other articles under that, uh, under that heading to mention. Um, this one's a little old. This is December 2015, uh, but this was from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They published a speculative fiction anthology called Pawning Tomorrow. And so um, one of the other articles, which I don't know if we'll talk about in, in, in extensive detail, but under, under the heading, The Sky is Falling, there was a TechCrunch article on May 7th called This Dystopia is Completely Ridiculous. And it was talking about things that are becoming normal and the, the, you know, talking about cybersecurity and advice about passwords. But one of the things that they mentioned in there was, um, you know, DRM and this dream that people had not many years ago that we'll have this world without digital rights management, which is the protective code that is put on media files like, you know, audio files, movies and those kinds of things and saying that we're a long way away from that. And also pointing out that what some people are talking about when they try to ban encryption is banning math. Because that's what encryption is. It's mathematical formulas and, and algorithms that, you know, allow for things to be encrypted. So anyway, that's something that I'm looking at as possibly – I've downloaded it. It's free. Uh, you can make a donation to EFF if you want. But it's got some um, – uh, well, it's it's – you know, science fiction many times anticipates the future, right? Looks at current trends and, and potential problems. And I think one thing that is important for us as a society is that we kind of imagine possible futures and we look at what kinds of regulation and policies and, and things are we following and what are our behaviors and what are the logical consequences or, or futures of that. So um, another yeah, thing. So, no, go ahead. I don't know if you've seen in, uh, in the links, but I went ahead and dropped uh, Defective by Design, which has uh, been around for quite a few years. Uh, I, it's the free open source uh, folks and, and fighting back. But, uh, you know, I was looking at the repeat offenders that they have on their website, www.defectivebydesign.org. And if you look at that, you don't use any of their products, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, you're pretty much – completely cut off from society. And uh, so it's uh, all of these folks have have used DRM and I don't think there's really a way around it anymore. I finally gave up. And now if I want to take advantage of of something that's DRM free, I'm going to run Linux, but otherwise I'm Windows, Mac, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's true. Well, additionally, under that heading, there was a, a Macworld article from May 22nd, um, Apple's new iCloud security requirements, how it affects you and the software you use. And one of the things that we're in the midst of doing at school, so here's an educational you know, slant, is we're in the process of encouraging all of our users, and we're a Google Apps for Education domain, 
to turn on their two-step verification. So they're going to have to have a smartphone in order to log on to a new device every 30 days. I think you can save it to say, remember this device, but then in 30 days, it's going to ask you again. <clears throat> and our plan is by December to require that. So we're nudging folks, talking to them, and, and going to have some workshops this summer and next fall to help. And then we're also encouraging password management. Well, evidently, Apple is going to require that third-party apps um, take advantage of uh, or utilize um, some iCloud security. And so there's apps. They mentioned Busy Contacts, Fantastical, which is actually the calendar app I use, uh, Thunderbird. All of those are going to have to um, follow um, this requirement that there's unique passwords for all third-party software that works with iCloud. And what they're trying to do is prevent hijacking. And I don't know. I think Jason mentioned it, it's very possible that Apple is going to make two-factor a requirement for everyone. Um, so I think this is still ahead of the curve. But we, we personally, if we're not already using two-factor, you've heard us say this on the show a bunch of times, uh, need to be doing that and need to be encouraging others to. Does TCA have any kind of recommendations or requirements regarding two-factor, Miguel? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if TCA does, but I certainly do. The uh, I would uh, definitely recommend turning on two-factor authentication or two-step verification. Yeah. And we actually talk about it in a lot of our workshops and training. Uh, it's something that I bring up as part of the VPN discussion as well. You know, you really have to start. I mean, this is digital citizenship. So it's it's critical that we uh, take care of that. And two-factor authentication, two-step verification is, is really important. Most people do have mobile uh, devices. At least the staff sh uh, needs to have it. If you get if you're the uh, target of a phishing attack, uh, if you have two-factor turned on, usually you're going to be okay. Of course, that last uh, Google phishing attack that took place just a few weeks ago was a bit of a problem, and two-factor would not have helped you with that. But yeah, that's right. So last link in this area um, is a cybersecurity workshop. And this is one that is sponsored by a grant from the federal government. And you may have something similar happening in your area. Uh, one of our local community colleges is Rose State. And so they're going to be sponsoring this again. In fact, our assistant tech director and our um, our uh, high school computer science uh, teacher uh, is going to be uh, heading there as well for a week. And the focus of this is encouraging folks to become savvy and motivated to work in the world of cybersecurity because we need more white hats and we need to educate teachers, but we also need to, to help motivate students and see that pathway to computer science, which, you know, would involve math, but, but other kinds of things as well. Uh, it's going to be a very good career field. It's a career field already that is understaffed. And I've read that, just as every single board of directors for every nonprofit organization today has somebody who's an accountant who knows the books and they can, you know, take a look at their balance sheet and be able to make sure the organization stays physically solvent or fiscally solvent. We're going to need the same kind of thing for cybersecurity because our reliance upon uh, the cloud and, and data share digitally and all of these things is, are so important. And so companies are going to gonna want people to be on their boards that have that kind of qualification. And then they're going to be paying consultants and, and other companies and things like that to fill in that gap. So uh, I would encourage people to check that out. It's called the CSEC Cyber Stars Summer Camp, which stands for Cybersecurity Education Consortium. And we've got that link in the show notes.
it's pretty neat. Uh, definitely pretty neat stuff. The, uh, you know, the, uh, I just, I noticed that they're, they've thrown in 3d printing and, uh, drone programming using tickle, which is kind of funny. Um, how does that uh, necessarily fit in? But I mean, I, I guess, guess under they're... the overall computer science and coding, I guess. I mean, that's my thought. Cool stuff that we can hook of, kids with. <laughs> yeah. One of the, uh, uh, funny things about the drone programming that I just discovered. Uh, I actually did a, a webinar today on getting up to speed with drones. And uh, did you know the FAA had, or the FAA's rules for regist registering your drone have changed? I heard that, but I actually have not changed. We, I have a drone that I inherited from our previous tech director. So how, how have the rules for drone registration the, the courts uh, uh, knocked down that uh, you had to register your drone if it weighed more than 0.55 pounds. Oh, okay. So that, that's pretty much the change. But uh, if you've oh. already registered your drone, oh, well. But uh, hmm. I, it's pretty amazing. And uh, the Tickle app uh, was used to work pretty well with the flying drones, but uh, now Tinker is the, the new app that, that works great. Awesome. I have yet um, to really dabble much with that. Have you, have you flown some, some drones and dabbled with coding drones yet? Yes, I have. Uh, we've had some uh, uh, workshop sessions on that. It's been, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think that I, I just don't necessarily see the, I see programming fitting into this, uh, certainly because of the IOT and IOT security. So I, I would want to adjust this, uh, the topics in this camp. The other stuff looks really good. Three um, D printing, I don't know so much, but and the laser engraving. But yeah, I, mean, I think they threw that in for uh, Wow Factor. Well, and, and they've also they also have a Fab Lab there, and I think they've reorganized where the Fab Lab is or whatever. So that may be some conflation of, of people who are doing this and wanting to promote promote their Fab Lab and, and some that. Well, I think I'd like to take us to some space articles for fun. Um, boy, as I was teaching STEM for, for two years in 2013, 2015, I was really always looking for what I called curiosity links that were just really cool stuff, you know, that got kids excited about science and space exploration and technology and all kinds of things like that. So there's several different, um, articles here. Um, uh, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, has picked a design for its next generation space plane. So this was from May, May the 24th. And um, I actually just watched, I, I can put this link in. Um, Elon Musk gave a TED Talk interview about a month ago. Um, the TED conference happened and my wife and I happened to be in California at a conference and went to a movie theater where they did a live stream of the first night of it. And it was from Vancouver. Uh, later that week, uh, Elon Musk sat down with Chris Anderson and did about mm -hmm. a 40, 40 minute Q and a where, um, I, I do not know what that was. Was that you? Was that a alarm? Maybe I'll go oh, yeah, off I, just got a, I got an email. You got a buzz yeah. notification. Your watch is calling. Um, That's right. so anyway, it, they, uh, they talked about his boring company, which is, you know, boring literally underneath Los Angeles and all these plans to try to curb urban traffic congestion by having multi layers of kind of tro well, trolleys that are going to ferry cars. And they talked about, you know, solar and what they're doing in terms of the gigafactory and they're going to announce I think he said two or three additional gigafactories. There's one now out in uh, Las Vegas, um, actually not far from Brian Crosby. Uh, but, you know, 
there's a, there are huge things that Musk is doing in terms of moving our society forward. And so anyway, his, his work, and then there's a lot of other folks involved in space. And so uh, for a while, we did not have our own launch capability in for, for humans, right. For people to go up to the space station, we had to rely on Russia. And so um, of course we're still doing that, but, but this is pretty cool. This is a, a next generation space plane that, that they are looking at. And then, um, I thought I had dropped this article in there as well. Uh, and maybe I need to, maybe I still, there was, there, uh, there's a lot of, in addition to, um, Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos is involved in, in the race to space and, um, the, uh, uh, was he, was Paul Allen a former co-head of Microsoft? He co-founded Microsoft, I, I think. Yeah. With Bill Gates. So Paul Allen <laughs> has announced his new rocket launching plane and it's big. And this thing has a 385 foot wingspan. It's powered by six wow. Pratt and Whitney engines. And the idea is, uh, I'll drop this link in the same section. I thought I'd put this in earlier. Uh, this thing is going to be able to, to launch us into space. So wow. I think, well, it's hard to underestimate the importance of inspiring. And so when we talk about going, going to Mars in the next 10 to 20 years, we talk about, you know, uh, becoming a multi-planetary species. Um, there's all these opportunities to not just work for NASA, but also to work for other companies in the arena of space. Um, it's, it's not something that's going to change your life today, but I definitely think it's something to, to share with students and to, to help them be excited about. You got any, got any plans or anybody in your family got plans to go to Mars here in a few years, Miguel? No, nobody said anything. Uh, I would love to uh, go. I read sci-fi all the time, and it's it's just uh, like you say, it's pretty inspiring. And you you almost wish that uh, we were there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 we're definitely in that time where we're we're experiencing more rapid discontinuous change than any generation you know previously has, and so um, some of these things that are headlines, and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, at, at what point, at what point does that come home? So perhaps, perhaps that's when we are, you know, actually sending, sending human beings to another planet. And we're, you're, we're still just seeing these companies, um, develop these capabilities. But, um, the, the future, the futurism article that's under that from May 24th says that, that Elon Musk is almost ready to, to update, um, the, the plans on what's going to be coming next for SpaceX. And, um, they've done some successful tests. Of course, they've, they've relaunched their, their, uh, rockets where they've been able to recover those and launch them again. And then they're going to be talking, you know, specific details about their, their interplanetary transport system. I'll, I'll say one of the funniest things about this is, um, I won't, you know, tell you the whole, the BFR stands for the big freaking rocket. And so that's the official name of the massive, massive rocket that, you know, is, it dwarfs the, um, oh, what was it? The Saturn V rocket, you know, that, that was our moon, our moon rocket. So pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Not necessarily things that have huge impacts in, in the classroom, but, um, definite, definite stuff. Are you, are you guys, you're doing drone stuff as far as workshops. Is there anything else that, that you've been doing STEM wise, you've done some Microsoft stuff. I know that is, is Minecraft related or whatever, but is there, are there STEM connections to that stuff? There are. In fact, uh, Microsoft has doing uh, every Saturday uh, in May, which I 
just about over, I guess, uh, or maybe it was starting in May. Um, they are doing uh, STEM sort of STEM events. I have to, I'll drop the link in. I've got the update on that, but uh, they also have available STEM curriculum online. And, but we, what I wish I had some, some time to sink my teeth into a little bit more is Minecraft code builder, the Minecraft education edition. Have you played around with the uh, code builder already or? Well, we have a teacher, a middle school teacher who's been using the, the Minecraft turtles and just loves that as far as introducing students to coding. And my daughter had his class and she, some of them is you can, you know, make them dig and follow patterns, but she, she uh, coded a turtle that builds a tree in Minecraft. And so I haven't played with the new version and it's actually something I'm kind of motivated to do seeing that the new twists that they're putting on that, because uh, if we want to think of a, a positive gateway drug to coding, right? My, if you, if you say Minecraft, you've essentially said free candy to, you know, students and they're going to, they're going to jump into that. So. Absolutely. I'm just, I've been, um, uh, I'm going to drop a link in there so you can, at least you'll, you'll see some of the updates, but it is, it is, it was amazing to see that. And uh, it supports Tinker and Scratch. And uh, you know, if, if you're already doing that stuff, it's, it's just incredible. So Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the criticisms levied against, you know, the internet, it's broken and it's just, you know, things are terrible. Uh, we put some of these art, these articles under this heading, the sky is falling. Um, the first one is a New York times article from May 20th. It's called the internet is broken, broken and Ev is trying to salvage it. And so, uh, the, the user EV, uh, is, is one of the co-founders of Twitter, Evan Williams, and he is also a co-creator of Blogger. And like many of us who are early adopters for Web 2.0 and the interactive web, you know, very optimistic about how this interactive space, in fact, I was thinking the other day, Miguel, about publish at will, right? We were talking about that kind of oh, stuff yeah. back in 2005. You know, right, There's there was all this great excitement and potential over, you know, the democratization of media and the chance for folks who hadn't necessarily had a voice or access to publishing to be able to share. And so, you know, he's saying he's trying to fix Twitter and trying to, to they've changed some of their terms of service by default and there's going to be some more targeted advertising and they're trying to, you know, Twitter is, Twitter is trying among other things to, to become financially viable and not, not to go under. Um, I personally don't see Twitter as a broken platform because I'm using it every day and educators are sharing all the time. And I'm just, I'm not experiencing and seeing the, the ugly trolling, um, you know, uh, bullying, nasty side of this that we hear a lot of people talking about. So I don't know. I, I guess we're supposed to take heart reading this article, thinking that, you know, we're, we've got folks that are very smart that are trying to, trying to save Twitter. Um, would your life be changed much if Twitter went away tomorrow, Miguel? You bet. I, it, it would. Uh, it would take away the main way that I share with, uh, gosh, my uh, tons of people that I interact with every day. So, But I thought that you had, uh, in, in fact, I followed you uh, to this uh, sort of weird uh, place. Mast uh, Mastodon? Mastodon, that's right. I finally dumped the app off my phone. And uh, remove the shortcut that was on my desktop. And I was saying, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to listen to West. Oh, really? Did you have a bad experience on Mastodon? Yeah, nothing happened. It was kind of boring. 
really? like, well, I tried I mean, following I... people. It yeah. was like a virtuous choice that someone made, and I can't fault you for that. But it's like uh, I, I don't know. I, since there's, I, there's not a lot of people the decision, there. Yeah, there's not it, the decision that made me go like for the iPhone and and uh, embrace uh, common technologies that everybody uses. You know, it's that idea that that you know, stop trying to go off and off the beaten path and and uh, use some weird esoteric technology. Let's just use what everybody uses because that's where. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you're a social human being, you're going to be connecting on, on those technologies. Correct. And hence, I'm using my iPhone right now to connect to you. Yes. But uh, Mastodon seems like a, a rejection of that. Let's fix. Let's fix the system. Well, what I'm what I have heart for Mastodon is that you know, like email, that is a uh, federated system where anybody can set up their own instance, you know, and then communicate with, with folks in the way that an email server works, Mastodon works the same way. So if Twitter indeed doesn't survive and, and Williams has actually been working on, um, on medium, which I've posted a little bit on and I read articles on every once in a while, trying to really, you know, make it, make things clean and, and elevate communication and, and fix things. So I don't know. I don't know, um, how successful that's going to be. But I, I definitely would be hugely affected if Twitter went away because it's become my primary way of sharing. And, you know, when we reflect on where we were back in the mid two thousands, right. When blogging and commenting was it, you know, you didn't have other ways to interact. Um, you know, comments on blogs are really few and far between today. Most of the interaction happens, you know, via social media. So the other article underneath this heading was a Gizmodo article from May 3rd. And this says uh, Facebook will add 3,000 more people to watch murders and suicides. And basically what they're saying is with Facebook Live, and there's been a lot of criticism of Facebook for initially shying away from their responsibility as a, as a media company to look at oh, yeah. how they need to vet things and not just let um, the alt-right you know, white supremacist, whatever, you know, do, do whatever and, and take over our news feeds and <laughs> ruin elections in Europe and the United States and whatever. There's all kinds of things that have happened. Um, they are hiring people that are going to be watching Facebook Live in part to, you know, kick people off that are showing things like, you know, people getting hurt and, you know, things that are, that are, uh, that are, in, that are just not appropriate. And, Interestingly, I learned about this from a podcast that we mentioned in the show a couple weeks ago, and it is um, I have to go back a couple episodes. Not the Tide podcast. Um, it's called Confab. I'm trying. I'm I'm quickly doing a search to try to find it within our show notes. Podcast occurs 27 times in our in our uh, podcast, so. Con, yeah, con, Contra Fabulists. So the Contra Fabulists is a podcast that is um, actually Ben Wilkoff, if you're still with us, Ben. We've still got uh, a viewer with us. Uh, recommended. It's Audrey Waters and Kim Lane. Uh, and as Ben had mentioned when he was on that show, they're they're definitely left of center as far as you know politics and everything like that. Um, which I actually personally enjoy. I love to hear all kinds of perspectives, but they were the ones that mentioned this article and their context. It was, you know, what an impact media has on us, whether we're playing a, a violent video game or watching a film, um, or our job is to look, you know, look for violent live 
Facebook streams or whatever, and then have to take those offline. And so there are some real big things that, well, there's some real negative uh, aspects to that. And, and having somebody, you know, we've heard about PTSD and folks that are flying drones and, and dropping weapons on, on people for real, you know, across the, the planet and, and the kinds of psychological effects that that has on our warriors. Um, there's also effects to this kind of thing where people are having to, to be the digital police. So I guess I'm thankful to see Facebook stepping up to their responsibility as a media company, but, you know, I definitely, I'm concerned about the dark side of this and see the digital citizenship side of all this. So what do you think, Miguel? Have, have you, are, are you kind of like me in terms of not seeing a ton of that, that dark side of the trolling, bullying internet, or, or is that something that's reared its head in different aspects of either your life or your family or people you work with? I haven't had a chance to, to see it firsthand, but uh, I, I know that it exists. Uh, we've had, uh, I think at, at one of our, uh, local high schools in San Antonio, we had uh, somebody that uh, unfortunately committed suicide after being bullied online and all of that. But um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't thought this through. And uh, so I'm not sure. So I'm, I'm sort of thinking aloud here and I'm not sure I'm going to hold on to a particular perspective that I share with you tonight. But uh, the, it, it looks like this article is really talking about uh, people sharing violent crimes, uh, sexual acts, child exploitation, and suicide. But I also know that uh, acts or violent acts committed by uh, police uh, have also found their way there. I, I think about the the, video, the power of video. Uh, you know, there was that one of the first videos that I ever saw was uh, campus university campus police. Uh, tasing someone and uh, a bunch of students actually filming the event and then broadcasting that. I think, you know, it, it's not like there should be any surprise that human beings are going to do bad things all over the place. So we're going to see these things anyways. I'd, I'd hate to shut down uh, a way to share things. if, if uh... Well, it's like we don't want the outlier you know, yeah. bad, bad apples to shut the whole thing down. Um, I won't disclose what the district was, but there was a, a Oklahoma district a number of years ago that had an employee who was actually running a prostitution ring using one of the servers from their, their organization. And, you know, people brought that out and just wanted to totally censor the web and shut stuff down. This was a felony and this person is in prison, right? So, you know, they didn't really need to change their filtering policies to address what is a felony and, you know, what that, that, that person was, was arrested and, and, you know, tried and convicted and put in, in jail. But sometimes those, those outliers, they certainly need to be dealt with. And I guess one of my other thoughts goes back to last week's show where we were talking about the quantity of video being produced today and the important role that artificial intelligence is going to play. In fact, Miguel, so here's a, here's a positive Microsoft spin. Uh, Microsoft at their, uh, summit event or whatever recent event they had, it's like their WWDC, they showed this video um, where they were looking at the workplace of the future and how you could see somebody who wasn't certified to use such and such tool picked it up or, you know, somebody was in a dangerous circumstance and, and there would be alarms that would go off and things that, you know, basically the, 
the computer would intelligently interpret video much in the same way that we have alerts today. Ben Wilkoff tuned in because, you know, he had an alert that went off on his phone. And, and so there's so much, there's such a quantity of video that's being created today and will continue to be created as more and more surveillance cameras are available, webcams, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So uh, I think that Microsoft and other companies are hoping that artificial intelligence, machine learning is going to play a constructive role in helping identify some of those things, flag those things, and perhaps reduce the amount of, of those situations that have to be viewed. And maybe certain things will go into a moderation queue because you know, it identifies that, you know, there's there's something explicit happening. I, you know, I'm not sure. But I definitely think we need to talk about this with students and parents. Um, I told the story before that last Christmas, you know, our daughter wanted to, well, in fact, she turned a live stream on over the holidays in our kitchen uh, on her Instagram channel. And I was in my pajamas and I was like, no, we're not doing that. And she's like, but dad, you know, and, you know, she'll be embarrassed that I'm sharing that. Um, but it was seriously this kind of thing where, yes, that is one button on your Instagram account, which you have, but the choice to do that when you haven't talked to me and got my permission, that was an important conversation for us to have. And so I think yeah. that we need to be, you know, talking with students about these things, talking with parents and, and encouraging folks to make choices about it, right? Because it's the publish at will day is not just photos and video or photos and images, you know, it's live video and, and I'm with you. I think that, you know, Ferguson, all kinds of, of situations involving the police. I'm glad things have been documented in many of those cases to provide some transparency and in many cases to, you know, counter the, the, the narrative of the authorities, which was, hey, everything was done above board and it was fine. And then you see the video and you're like, no, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. So anyway, I think these are important topics for us to, to keep to keep visiting about. Um, anything else before we do Geeks of the Week that, that jumps out at you that you want to mention or, or, or chat about? I don't have anything off the top of my head. Sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. I think I'll do one more article there in that same section, uh, The Sky is Falling. This is from Flurry Mobile on uh, actually March the 2nd. The article is U.S. consumers' uh, time spent on mobile crosses five hours a day. And the thing that stood out in this article the most for me was a new term, and it's called communitainment, communication for the sole purpose of entertainment. And so we definitely see that on the rise. And we've talked about this for a long time about the mobile web and how important it is. And, you know, as we create platforms for our organizations, for our schools, we want to be making sure those are mobile friendly. And, um, you know, the graph on this is pretty substantial. It's a, it's a quarterly graph, but it's, you know, showing um, the amount of time that folks are spending in, mobile browsers and it's just getting higher and higher. It also has some, some graphs about app categories, um, ver you know, browser versus app. Uh, obviously you'd, you'd expect Facebook, uh, Snapchat, uh, YouTube, uh, all, all those kind of things to, to be high. But um, it's, it's, are you, let me ask you this. Are, do you have any guidelines? Well, you still got one, one child at home, right? Or not? Is everybody in college? Are you empty nester? Almost, almost. I've got a 17-year-old. Have, have you no. all made any screen time rules? And is that something that's come up at your home about screen time? 
Uh, no, we haven't really. The uh, We haven't made any rules in regards to screen time. We did have those conversations early on about digital citizenship, and uh, we continue to have those over time. And so uh, I don't think there's any weird pictures of us uh, out there. I uh, uh, hope not. But, uh, yeah, the it's sort of like uh, trying to stop all, all of us are connected all the time. I really see the, you know, I was looking at that graph, the U.S. time spent by app category, and it, if I noticed that messaging and social is 12% and gaming is 11%, but, uh, and then music, media, and entertainment. I, I think that uh, the emphasis on messaging and social is such a powerful thing because of our, you know, we're human beings. We want to communicate and stay in touch. So I think putting limits on that uh, is, is problematic. So... Well, it, it's something for us all to grapple with. And just like parenting, right, there's not a single, here's your, you know, recipe for perfect parenting. It's going to vary by all kinds of complex things. But uh, I think that the power of the screen and the ways in which screens are designed for engagement and attention and to try to bring us back, um, you know, there are things that we as adults need to look at as well as, as the kids. It's not just those kids these days, you know, it's, it's also things that we that we grapple with. So, well, why don't we do some Geeks of the Week, and then we'll uh, tell everybody where they can find us, and I think we're going we're gonna to be done. So what, what do you have for our Geek of the Week? I, I feel terrible. I only uh, found uh, something that I've been using quite a bit, but it keeps coming up again and again, so I, I think it's definitely worth sharing. Uh, you know, we ha all have uh, data stored in a million different places online. Uh, I don't know where you save most of your stuff, uh, Wes, if you've got a, a few uh, hard drives at home, but uh, all my stuff is out in the cloud. And uh, so I like to be able to move things around. And MultiCloud and CloudHQ.net allow me to do that. If you have MultiCloud, is is completely free. Um, I, I bet you could pay them if you wanted to, but uh, you could take advantage of their, their free packages and you can move things and data back and forth. It's as easy as right-clicking on something, copying it to uh, from Dropbox to Google Drive or uh, Google Suites for education, your drive there to uh, your personal stuff. CloudHQ.net is, is really nice. Um, I've been using their service for, uh, I guess, several years now, and it's been free all along because uh, they'll give actually give you pretty much a year if you blog and, and share about their service. Um, and they are definitely a wonderful service to use. I use them with moving from Google Drive to Google Drive, Evernote to uh, Google Drive, uh, and then OneDrive, moving stuff into OneDrive, so I use that quite heavily. Uh, moving from uh, the OneDrive for business, which is sort of like SharePoint, moving from there into uh, regular OneDrive for personal use. Wonderful. CloudHQ.net is, is just phenomenal. MultiCloud is more for, hey, I got to do this at the end of the school year, like now, for, for a lot of teachers and students. And that makes it for an easy way to transition content. So, for instance, if you are switching jobs, which I've done before and don't anticipate doing for hopefully a long time, but <clears throat> when I did, yeah. right, then you've got all this stuff in potentially Google Drive and, and you need to think about how you're going to access that. So those are those are great tools. Well, my uh, Geek of the Week is a, a mobile device management platform, and it is called Tab Pilot. We have been utilizing a different mobile device manager, which has been free and been grandfathered in, 
but only would would let us manage a hundred devices. And so the quotes that we had for this one uh, were really expensive, like over five thousand dollars. And so uh, Tab Pilot has been designed specifically for education. I'll do a shout out to Henry Finch, who is a uh, Tulsa area educator, and at one of our uh, tech director meetings. Um, you know, said that they were really looking at tab pilot. And so that's what made me look into it. And it's probably about a third of the cost of what we were looking at paying for this other mobile device management. Um, we manage iPad. I manage, we do uh, in our IT department of two and a half, um, you know, basically a hundred, a few more now, a hundred plus iPads. <clears throat> we have somewhere around 260 Chromebooks. Um, and then the total number of other PCs and Macs we have is, is 300 something. Anyway, it's important to have mobile device management and Chrome tab, tab pilot. You license it by the device, but they also have an unlimited uh, PC and Mac management that's grandfathered in. So as we roll out some new MacBook airs to some teachers this next week, uh, we're going to be having that mobile device management as something that will allow us to have um, some more ability to, uh, to manage their devices and, and uh, look at, at, at what they're doing and, and be able to, um, you know, do, do, do some management stuff. And it's certainly, it's, it's, it's absolutely vital on the iPad side. And I love the screen control that this has. One of the things that our previous MDM did not have was the ability to, to really let teachers control and manage the screens that their class has. And so I definitely get that it's wonderful to let students develop self-discipline and be able to pick the right app and be in the right app. But there's also times where it's nice not to have, you know, 50 apps on there and maybe to have four apps or five apps. And maybe you just want the app store to be hidden completely. And so Tab Pilot really lets teachers um manage that directly and decide where they want things to go and, and put stuff, um, you know, what they want in the dock, et cetera. So I'm excited about that. And I'm in the process of doing that move this summer. <clears throat> What's tricky is you can only have your VPP, which is your volume purchase program from Apple connected to one mobile device management system at a time. So I've, we just had a meeting this morning and going to be, you know, emailing our iPad users to let them know, you need to download or, or, or upload, you know, get off your device projects in the paid apps that we've used, like explain everything, the book creator app, the green screen app. And uh, one of our teachers today actually found out that with explain everything, he could just plug his iPad into his computer through iTunes, download all of his projects, and they were all backed up. And that was great. So we didn't have to do something on a, a one-off basis. But anyway, I'm excited about that. Definitely excited about the cost. And as I got into mobile device management, I had had some people tell me, oh, they're all created equal, you know, because Apple is the one that specifies what you can do. Um, and while that is true from like a restriction level and a, you know, function level, the, the ways that companies implement MDM and the ways in which they allow not only IT, but also teachers to have access and control definitely varies a lot. So I'd encourage people to check it out. That is entirely an uncompensated promotion because as of yet, we are not supported in any way, shape or form by money. We just do EdTech SR because we love it. So there's no money's being exchanged. So have you compared this to, uh, let's say, JAMF's, uh, J-A-M-F's uh, uh, solution and uh, AirWatch? 
I did a, a, with a little bit of cost comparison, but not a blow by blow comparison. Um, I got feedback from some other folks using those tools. Those are definitely great tools, especially Jamf is one that would, would probably be the uh, second one that I would, would look at. Um, but I think from a cost standpoint, it'd be, it'd be quite a bit more expensive. Have you done anything with, uh, I know you're, you're mostly iPads, but uh, Tab Pilot looks like it works with Android. I'm kind of curious. Um, it says it works with the Google Play for education. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious how that would work. And uh, Yeah, I mean, we are too. We, we have about 260 Chromebooks under management, um, and we've got, you know, lots and lots of students and teachers using Google Classroom and heavily invested in, in Google Apps. And so I we, we've just got a few dabblers, really, with some Android devices and then some Microsoft Surface products, uh, some Surface books and things like that. And those are conversations we have in terms of support and how many folks we have and how many, you know, how many different device types that we want to. But it is good that it supports multiple ones. And it may be, especially on the Chromecasting side of things and being able to, you know, push a Chrome screen up the same way we do with AirPlay, with Apple TVs. Those are things that we're going to continue to investigate and also hope that, that Google and vendors are going to support that at the enterprise level because it can work great at your house. But that doesn't necessarily mean you want all the teachers to show up, plug a Chrome you know, Chromecast in the back of their, their classroom TV or into their projector and then, you know, try to cast to it, especially if it's going to go over Wi-Fi, perhaps if it's local Bluetooth. Well, it looks like a great find, Wes. Thanks All for right. sharing. Absolutely. Well, we have, I think, gone about 60 minutes. We started a little bit late, and we always wrap up by letting people know where they can find us. So, Miguel, all of our watchers and listeners are desperate to get more wisdom. Where can they find you and your great ideas online? Well, you can find me in uh, several places, uh, but uh, one is uh, around the corner at www.mgulen.org, and I'll go ahead and add that link there. You can also find me on Medium. You mentioned them earlier, and I've been cross-posting some things there. It's kind of interesting to see how uh, people read. I do a, most of my blogging right now at uh, the TCA Tech Notes blog, so if you just go to tca.org slash blog, uh, you'll be able to find me uh, there, and uh, I have tons of resources. Um, uh, some of them are behind the little password, you know. I sorry, but uh, um, there as are as far as like TCA member only. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's uh, quite a few that are available. Uh, there's a free stuff section, tons, tons of stuff, and uh, you can if you just go to uh, w well ly.tca.org/connect. And I'll drop those links in the uh, uh, in there somewhere. I'm not sure where you want them, Wes, but uh, I'll yeah, just, just drop them drop them in there there at the bottom, and I'll put them in the show notes. So, well, I am Wes Fryer, W Fryer on Twitter, blog at speedofcreativity.org. We'll certainly be posting a few more things this uh, summer as we gear up for ISTE. Excited to see Miguel and Scott McLeod, and hopefully our friend the Blue Skunk, uh, Doug Johnson. We've uh, had a bit of a tradition of getting together, That's especially right. when we come to San Antonio. So really excited. Hey, maybe we'll record. I don't know. We'll have to see. Sometimes it's, we just want to talk and not do anything online, but maybe we'll record something. Um, but um, I've definitely been working up stuff for iPad Media Camp. I'll be headed to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with my wife and girls at the end of June and doing a three-day iPad Media Camp and have been using the website 
badge list to create credential badges for iPad supporting skills as well as projects <clears throat> and then also app skills. And so those are going to be fleshed out by the end of the month with um, web with a um, videos that go with them as well. And so you can follow iPad Media Camp on Twitter. You can go to iPadMediaCamp.com and all that kind of stuff is posted there. So we want to thank you for tuning in to EdTech SR. Please check us out next week at our regular time, which is 9 p.m. Central. And Dr. Scott McLeod will, will be here. And we might ask him to tell us some secrets about Miguel because Scott has been following Miguel for a long time, learning at, at the altar, as it were, of, of EdTech. And um, I'll also just throw this in. If, if any of you are wanting to show your love to Miguel, chocolate shakes that's what miguel loves so if you can get him any gift cards for chocolate shakes you know you see him at, at isti and you've got a chocolate shake to hand him he's usually a happy man i've given those up uh wes uh, oh sorry. no really oh okay so what's your new what, what's your new goodie then what can we get you to to show our appreciation uh, microsoft minecraft card. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or well, Star Starbucks works great. Uh, vanilla bean uh, frappuccino uh, that works too. All right. Okay. But, so uh, that's good to know. We'll keep that in mind. It, it, yes, please do. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Take care.